You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, I'll tell you, one of, the, one of the proudest moments that I ever had as an entertainer was going on stage in a casino and playing a set that was 45 minutes and walking off the stage and realizing that we only played two songs. And <laughs> in the course of 45 minutes and two songs, nobody left. And I thought, I thought... That's that to me was success. Like we entertained this crowd. Nobody left. We played two fucking songs. So then they, for fucking 38 minutes, we fucking just bullshitted <laughs> with people and they were entertained enough not to throw anything at me or leave the fucking audience. So to me, that was cool. Like if you've got that tool, then do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of 2020. I'm Siobhan Cronin here with Corey Peza and Benny Goodman, as always. How's it going, guys? It's going great. Looking forward to jumping back into part two with uh, the one and only Satchel. Yeah. Like when you wake up like with a waking, waking dream, except the dream is actually reality, and you realize that that reality is Charlie Brown's teacher, except Charlie Brown's teacher, Satchel from Steel Panther, telling you wisdom <laughs> about well, politics is- and life and culture and subculture and introspection. And you're like, the guy from Steel Panther is knows how to use words like that? And if you listen to the earlier episode, this is kind of just a continuous stream of consciousness from part one. So, of course, we just kept going, jumping right back in. Yeah. So this will probably make sense, but maybe not. We're about to find out. (laughs) So here it is. Part two with Satchel. We're still an underground band, it, you know, so we we don't get on the radio, all that shit. You know, we don't we don't have a, we never had like a year where we went, oh, Steel Panther blew up. So we're, we're just constantly, you know, gaining new fans. So every show that we do, there's always a lot of new people that have never seen us play live, which is great. Although most of those people have seen us online on, on seen videos and things like that. And but there's always a handful of people that haven't seen anything and they're just like oh their friends drag them to the show they go you got to see this band um but in the beginning that was every show we did for years and years and years and everywhere we played there was a brand new audience of like who are these guys and why am i here so and and i think that that's a great thing for any band like to just book gigs because if you go on stage and there's a bunch of people that don't know who the fuck you are. And that's a, that's another, you know, like if, if you can get a gig opening up for a big, big band, that's a, that's a good way to cut your teeth too. Like just winning crowds over and going on stage and going, I'm going to do what I do and I'm going to win this crowd over. And sure. There's going to be people that, that hate me, but I'm going to win as many people over as I can. And uh, for us, it's, that's an ongoing process. Like we're still doing that to this day and there's still, you know, the, the last show, every show we do, we always ask how many people have never seen us before. And it's usually half the, uh, the audience. So to me, that's a good thing. Like, you know, we're continuing to bring new people into the, into the circle. And, uh, and, but there's always people like, you know, we've been playing for so long that there's people that have seen us like hundreds of times and there's still going to shows. So we're like the heavy metal grateful dead, right? Like people are like, Oh my God, this is my 4,000th uh, steel Panther show. And, and it just gets better and better. I can't wait to see him again. You know? And then I remember we played uh, the House of Blues um, in Los Angeles for um, 13 years straight, right? Every Monday night. Started at the Vibe Room, then moved to the Key Club. Then we moved to the Roxy. And then we went to the House mm-hmm. of Blues. And after 13 fucking years of every fucking Monday night, like, we finally played the last show in hollywood like they 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 we ended i think they were going to tear the house of blues down 
And I remember like leaving the show that night and there was somebody waiting outside. Um, and I was getting into my car, my Isuzu hashback, right? And, um, and there was somebody who came up to me and he was, he was like, Hey man, like you guys, you guys are great. Like I live like right down the street and, and you, I just heard you guys, you know, you play here every week. That's fucking awesome. And I said, I was like, yeah, that, that was our last night. We're never playing here again. Like you just found out about us. And he's like, yeah, like, like yesterday. And I was like, you fucked up, man. And he was like, yeah, I missed, I missed 13 years in a row. And I saw you on your last fucking night. Good, good job. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, that's so such great advice, though. That's I'll, I'll say that it's relatable, even with Star said that, uh, you know, having talked to fans, a lot of people have said like, oh, I saw you guys open up for Shinedown and I saw you and you just like captivated me. And then they've started coming ever since. And as long as you're always developing something and you're you're creating some new level of interest for the people that have stayed committed to you, it's they, they really stick with you, you know, when when you get that trust. Does built. Dustin use subliminal messaging in his and like in your show? Like, has he has he built it in like flashes of like follow, <laughs> obey? You wouldn't know. Like, if does he, did. he do that? Does he have binaural I mean, sounds coming I out? I wouldn't know because I really haven't ever gotten to see the show from the audience perspective. From Gen Pop, yeah, yeah. Oh my god! But yeah, I don't know. A lot of similarities there. I'm surprised really that cool. he's not so technological. He hasn't figured out a way of watching himself as he's doing it. You know I'm sure I mean? he'll like, do kind it of like, like if you like you know are, have like your sex dungeon and like you're filming yourself as you're like in the sling, Dustin can watch like megalomaniacally over all of his crowd uh, adoring the star set experience as like from a, a screen behind the the people so he can watch them watching him as they watch him. You should suggest it. I'm sure he'd be up for that. <laughs> Tell him to watch the show. Okay. It's like a homework. <laughs> So wait, so let, let's continue on from that story, though. What happened after you stopped playing in that venue for all those years? Was it that you moved on to like a, was that like a turning point where you moved on to bigger venues or what well, happened we, from there? We had sort of already begun to move on at that point because we were, we went through a transition. Like we, we were a, a residency band for many, many years. We played, mm -hmm. uh, played Vegas every week. We played uh, Los Angeles every week. We did, we did weekly gigs in different places. And then when we started really uh, releasing records in 2009, uh, we started doing more touring, you know, going to, going to Europe and, and uh, you know, touring around the States more and touring Canada and Australia and doing a lot of festivals, rock festivals. And so we would, we would have our residencies and then we would go and do a tour for a month and we'd come back to our residencies. And then we would, you know, we would just jump off the residencies and go do short tours and then it became, you know, one of those things where, well, we have to sort of focus more on touring because it was hard to leave the residencies and come back to them. Uh, but then by the time we left uh, the residency in, in Hollywood, we, would, we had already done a fair amount of touring and uh, we were sort of ready to leave for good. I can't remember what year that was, like 2015 or 16 or something like that. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's very difficult to transition from a residency band to a touring band, as you can imagine, or transition from a band that does covers to become an original band. I mean, because we were honestly, we were very, very successful as, as a cover band as well, because you know, the, the way I see it is this, like we, we are, um, we're there to entertain people. And I don't really give a shit whether I'm playing you know, I, lo I, I love to write songs and I love to write original songs. And that was the whole reason why we became an original band was because it was, uh, for me, it was a way to take St Seal Panther, which started as cover band, and make it something totally unique. And um, But our humor, honestly, our humor and our chemistry made us unique to begin with which is which was why we had such a big following to begin with because um you know i'll tell you one of the one of the proudest moments that i ever had as an entertainer was going on stage in a casino and playing a set that was 45 minutes and walking off the stage and realizing that we only played two songs and <laughs> in the course of 45 minutes and two songs 
nobody left. And I thought, <laughs> I thought that's that to me was success. Like we entertained this crowd, nobody left. We played two fucking songs. So then they for fucking 38 minutes, we fucking just bullshitted <laughs> with people and they were entertained enough not to throw anything at me or leave the fucking audience. So to me, that was cool. Like if you've got that tool, then do it. Yeah. Call back to the importance of bullshitting and how that right, helps exactly. in relationships and on stage and everywhere in between, right? <laughs> Yeah, but you you brought up an interesting point about the differences between like a touring band and a residency band. And I I think that maybe you can speak to this, but it seems like that's a super important element of having a residency or being in a place like Vegas or L.A. where it's like you really have to go over and above to entertain people because they are there with for the sole purpose in many ways of being entertained. They want that that to be their big thing in the evening you know they maybe they're not necessarily going to a show for any particular reason other than it's like this is our night out and we want to be entertained so that's a huge part of it probably oh there's no no doubt about it and when we were doing vegas every week it was um it's very different when when you're doing a residency obviously because you're you're basically playing to what could possibly be the same crowd every week and mm-hmm. and you do want people to come every week because that's that's going to pay your bills if, if it's crowded every week. And if you can get return business, that's the only way you're going to keep your residency. And um, so every week it was, you know, there was the pressure of, we can't do the same set. I certainly can't, you know, do talk about the same shit or do the same jokes or shit like that. So it was really like truly a challenge to be spontaneous and, step onto the stage and and really listen and be in the moment and try to have fun with the other guys in my band and involve the crowd that was another thing like like when you're a touring band you know especially if you're a band like steel panther where we could go on to in front of a different audience every night of the tour and if i have a dick joke that's funny you know i could i could potentially do that joke every night and it would be fresh every night right Mm -hmm. but that that's that to me, um, that sort of promotes something that be- it'll become stale really fast because it's it's not natural. You're trying to like, you know, you're relying upon this used up old joke in your bag of tricks every night, and and it and it also promotes people uh, being complacent and not listening. So if you're all on the stage together. And you're just, you know, okay, we just did the third song. Now we're going to talk to the crowd and he's going to do his dick joke about, you know, you know, whatever. Then everybody just sort of like it's paint by numbers. Mm -hmm. And and if you're painting by numbers on stage, the crowd can see right through that every fucking time and they get bored really fast. And so the only way to be have it be real is to be connected to the crowd and be in the moment and involve the crowd. And that way, you know, everybody in the band is forced to listen to everything that's being said. And that's the only way that I feel like shit comes off genuine and real and funny and um, spontaneous. And it's the only way that, that that's the real reason that people come back, I think. Because if you went and saw a band and it was like, and let's face it, there's a lot of bands like that where you go see a band and you go, oh yeah, you know, I saw I saw Bush three times and that was enough for me because it was the same fucking show. It was the same show every time I see him. And he said the same thing. And that's not, you know, I'm not pointing Bush out as, you yes. know, <laughs> I got an email. I got an email from Gavin. Gavin he said, yeah. fuck you, Satchel. He, he, he is dreamy. And I will say that I have like three pictures I've taken at the same three Bush shows and he does the duck face no matter what he's doing. So it's like, right. So like, but you gotta give it to him because he's got like the cutoffs. He looks amazing. He's like seventy four years old, but he's way more shredded than any of us. And he's like banging a a bunch of chicks all the time. And yeah. come on, man, when I was in the quad at Northeastern, I used to. It must be your skin, cause I'm sinking. It worked every fucking time, every other time. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, listen, I'm not. There's a lot of bands out there, and there's a lot of bands that are gonna do their show, and they're gonna, they're gonna be boring in between songs and all that shit. But, you know, listen, and that's why I'm in Steel Panther because I, when people come see Steel Panther, I I want them to fucking be entertained from start to finish. 
and and I want to be entertained too. I want people, I want girls to get on stage and take their fucking shirts off and show me their vaginas. I mean, like, I'm, I want to have fun too. I want everybody to have fun. Fuck. I, I, you know what? I have to ask you because you're a defender of the faith because I know you played with so many different people, everyone like Rob Halford, all that sort of stuff. Ronnie James Dio. Well, I, I saw him while he was alive and he was the Freddie Mercury of metal for me. And, but he would always come out and be like, this next number is our, the second track off Long Live Rock and Roll from Rainbow. This is Gates to Babylon or whatever. And he did like, he was so formal. Do you think it could have worked with Steel Panther and Dio? Because I feel like he rides a lot of tigers and he's a rainbow in the dark and we rock. Yeah, well, dude, I mean, like the, the cool thing about Dio was he didn't, he didn't, I mean, dude, when you have a voice like that, you don't really have to do anything else. You know, he sang like a fucking, he was, I mean, we always play this game. Like, who's your, who's your top five favorite vocalists, right? Of all fucking time. Dio is always in there for me. Like, it's oh, yeah. it's, it's hard to pick the top five, but I, I, would, I would definitely put Dio in the top five. I'd put, uh, I would put, you know, there's certain guys. It's hard because five is it's not very many. So Dio, you know, I put, I would probably put Rob Halford in there, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of metal guys that I, that I love, like, uh, God, you know, I mean, like Bruce Dickinson, there's only two. I was left, waiting. Right? I was waiting. I was waiting. I mean, you know, I'd have to put, I got, I got to put Michael Starr in there. Cause he's, he's badass. He's great. Singer. He is fucking, fucking great. And, and then I only got one left. So I don't, I don't know. Like who do I use in the last fucking one? There's, there's so there's a lot of good singers, you know, and and is it just on the vocal or is it or is it front well, man? Because listen, I, I'm gonna tell you right now, it's Freddie Mercury because anyone that can go in front of a hundred thousand people in a unitard, okay, and it's badass, and you're gay as fuck, and no one even knows, doesn't fucking matter. You're holding a goddamn scepter, and you're fucking you got camel moose toe just sticking out like all weird looking. And that yeah. fucking strange ass unitard looks like it's on backwards. And you're just going, Dio! And like 90,000 people at some football stadium in Brazil singing it back. And they hit every fucking note. And he's doing like all these weird runs. It doesn't matter that he's got a moose knuckle just fucking hanging out there. Or he's wearing a unitard. And he's got just a stash. Doesn't matter. Because his yeah. fucking voice. like Just like the fact that Dio was like a five foot lemmy. Yeah. <laughs> I will say this too. I, I had the really awesome opportunity to um, to meet Dia one time, and um, I played him a, a game of Miss Pac-Man. It was there, and he was like, "You want to play Miss Pac-Man?" And I said, "Yeah, I'll, pl I'll play against you." And he, and he was like, "He was and he, and he bragged. He said, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good.'" <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like. I was a little scared. I was like, is he going to kick my fucking ass in this Pac-Man? Now he, he played his first, his first man and, and, you know, lasted a little while. And then I got on and I, I fucking destroyed it. I, <laughs> I had the best game of Miss Pac-Man I've ever played. I think if he could have like shot lightning bolts out of his fingers, he would have killed me right there. Seriously. <laughs> he was mad at me. <laughs> How do you forget? But that's so, that's that's that should be the name of your autobiography. It should be like Miss Pac-Man with Dio. Yeah, by Satchel. It was a moment. It was definitely a moment. That's a moment, dude. Like if there ever was a moment, it's literally saying that. Like, and the next number is me up for Miss Pac-Man. It's my turn. <laughs> I'm on this side, right? That's right. It was fuck, dude. It was fu I was fucking nervous. I was like, whew. Was it but, a double-sided one, or was it one of them where you had to actually like move out of the way and let your friend in? No, it was move out, move, move out of the way. It was right, it was exactly. It was stand-up game, so it was cool, man. One, one of the one of the uh, one of those stories that you know you never, you know, I mean, shit, dude. Like you look back at your life and you go, I can't believe I got to beat Dio's ass at Miss Pac-Man. I mean, like, well, how many people get to do that? Yeah, I'm probably the only one. You know, it's a weird. I, I keep saying all these weird synchronicities and. I actually, when I met Vinnie Paul, the first thing we did was play air hockey and I won $300 off of him. And I'm thinking to myself, that's, that's it. Well, and he said to me, he goes, kid, that was the best game this whole tour. I got one of these in my fucking basement. 
And I'm like, wow. come drink with me. And like, like, they melted my mind with black tooth grins and fucking, uh, you know, seven and sevens. But like, that was how I met him because he was, there was a bunch of strippers around a fucking air hockey table and he's just throwing shit like, fuck the Patriots. Or what? I'm like, wait, that's <laughs> Vinnie Paul. Right. And, and, he, and he was saying, who's going to throw down? And next thing I know, I see myself throwing a $20 bill down. And I think to myself, how do you beat that story? Like playing Vinnie Paul and winning. And, and, and it's Ronnie James Dio. And move Pac-Man. out the fucking way <laughs> last in line for miss pac-man that just destroys yeah. that really destroys it like like a rainbow in the dark yeah it was i mean listen vinnie paul was fucking awesome dude i, I gotta say i went to a, a, a pantera show when they were playing in um in amsterdam years and years ago and i went with a friend of mine and um we all smoked pot with pantera like but but this is was before- that the dynamo festival What's that? Was that the Dynamo Festival in, in Amsterdam? No, it was, a, it was a head. It was a headlining show. They were they were at. I can't remember where they played, but it was somewhere in in Amsterdam. And we were backstage with them before they went on, and we smoked pot with them. And those guys, I'm, like, they smoked so much <laughs> fucking pot before they went on that my friend couldn't go. He couldn't move. He fucking. <laughs> He passed out from the pot and fell fell asleep on the floor backstage. And oh, I went man. out and watched Pantera. And those guys were already smoking when I got there. And I was so high, I couldn't feel my toes. And <laughs> those guys went out and they played the tightest set I've ever seen a fucking band play. It was the most mind-boggling thing I've ever seen. That was yeah, it's incredible, incredible because when I first saw him, that's exactly what I thought because Dimebag Daryl would come out on stage and this is like, I think, OzFest 97 whatever. And the first time I'd ever seen someone bend a note by like pointing to the sky first, like Babe Ruth, like I'm going to hit it out. He's like, I'm going to squeal up this way as his dude comes over and pours fucking alcohol in his mouth while he's playing. No big deal. You think it's a one-time thing? It's not a one-time thing. They come over, they fucking annihilate his mind. Does he play any worse? No, he's playing Domination. Fucking perfect. And if you hear a soundboard mix of any of that shit, because I have a bunch of fucking Pantera bootlegs, you listen to some of these bands and you're like, all right, like what? Pantera was like, it's like Rush with a real singer. Like that's what that band was. Like it's fuck, and they sound perfect and they could be annihilated. Annihilated, it didn't matter. I know, and and to know that they were fucking totally wasted while they do it. Like I heard some, you probably heard this before. Like we you know they they say that um, there was some study done about how when you when you smoke pot, like if you are a pot smoker and you're like studying like physics, right? So you're you know you're in high school and you're smoking pot every day and you're this, studying. This is Ben's physics. favorite fact, right here. No, I said this to Ryan Roxy, and yeah. he said, "Children, don't listen to this." Yeah, that you get high on the same drugs as you do. It's so if you're well, going to play high co- on you stage. You were talking about cocaine, I think. <laughs> but okay, well, but if you're going to study on cocaine, you guy take cocaine when you do the SATs. That's you're right. Fucking fail. <laughs> and that's exactly what I. That's that's where I think like Pantera. Pantera wrote all that shit. They were they were wrote and rehearsed all that shit while they were high. So of course they can play it while they're high. That's the only way they can fucking play it. You know? <laughs> Makes sense. It's awesome. So that's the lesson, kids. Take drugs. Yes. There you go, kids. Dude. Smoke as much pot as you want. <laughs> Whatever you do in practice, do it for the real thing, apparently. Well, exactly. if it makes you feel better, Shannon Larkin, uh, I, t- I was talking to the drummer from Godsmack, but used to play it, um, in Wrathchild. Uh, was telling me he used, he's like, oh, I go way back with those guys. They used to open for me. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, me and Dime have a whole fucking album. Like, we, I told him Nine Inch Nails was going to make it. He told me some other, he's named some band. And like, we had a whole record like that. And, and, and all we do is just like go in his basement and just fucking crush 60 beers and just record. Like, where are their tapes? Oh, they all exist. Like, but I don't remember any of it. And I just want to hear the Dimebag Daryl tapes. Because you got to think, like, how many times did Dimebag, who was a Jedi, whilst fucking drunk? Because you knew he was drunk and stoned all the time. Like, it was just a fucking fact. Hence the name Dimebag. Yeah. Uh, like, how many albums did that guy, was he the prince of metal? Like, does he have, like, whole fucking records that he wrote just for, like, you know, going out with Zach Wilde, like, shooting turkeys? Yeah, you know what? The, 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 that I would not be surprised to see something like that come out at some point. But it's probably, like, uh, probably in Vinnie Paul's basement somewhere. You know, somebody will dig it up at some point. 
That's true. That's true. In fact, and I have to ask you this. So I saw a statement from Rita, um, who who is uh, Dime's widow, um, and uh, apparently she's like fighting with Dean Guitars because they're saying that she got a call that like 16 years after he's dead that Dimebag doesn't matter enough. Uh, I don't know what the deal is, so I can't speak for Dean or whatever. But does that make you a little sad? Because like I read stuff like that, and it makes me sad because I think to myself, like, do you think that like. I don't know, Fender, whoever owns the Eddie Van Halen name. Like, are they going to drop Eddie one day because kids don't fucking care about Van Halen? Like, you should care. Like, fucking spoon feed them some dime bag and they'll feel better. It's medicine. Well, wait, so so Dean said that, the, that like, the name Dime wasn't they're selling dropping, guitars? Yeah, they're dropping him. That's, I guess there's some letter, like, I, I, you know, you know when people post too much stuff on the internet and you're like, I wouldn't have known this unless I read your diatribe. Well, I read the diatribe about, like, to Dean uh, guitars about how, you know, Dimebag supposedly doesn't matter anymore. But it hurt my feelings because I'm thinking to myself, it is a corporate world out there and we're going through the COVIDs thing. Like, are they, up? did Dean, somebody in Dean, like some young uh, millennial walk in and say, Dimebag doesn't matter enough to push it. Well, you know what, Dan? I mean, like, honestly, I mean, in the world of guitar, dime is always going to matter, right? So in the world of metal always. and always. So, but, but these companies, I could, I would imagine a lot of these companies are having a hard time just selling fucking guitars. I mean, you've probably noticed when you go into a guitar center now, like the wall, when, I mean, even just like 10 or 15 years ago, when you would walk into a guitar center, um, a lot of the guitars on the wall were you know, between 600 and a thousand bucks or a couple thousand dollars. And now like the vast majority of the guitars on the wall are like one or 200 bucks because I think they're just like, listen, we got to get, we just got to move product. Like, because there's not a lot of music. The popular music isn't rock music, you know, getting kids into instruments is very difficult. This this actually, this, but I can tell you that I, I've seen this from the backside. This is one of those cases where I'm glad to say that I think you're wrong a little bit because the mom and pop music store, so Guitar Center- I gotta go, has become, I gotta go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The mom and pop music stores that had been destroyed by the faceless corporations that are, you know, Guitar Center and all those things um, are thriving more. We're so, you know, one of my buddies owns a guitar store in Boston and throughout the whole COVID thing, people would be like, so how you doing, man? So how you doing? And he'd just be like counting money, being like better than I ever have. It's a lot of online like sales, right. though, isn't it? Time, but it's yeah. So it's a lot more direct uh, sale uh, sales. But because it's Guitar Center became a faceless corporation and ripped off enough broke guitar players and bass players, the, the mom and pop stores are actually thriving now. So a lot of these stores that you didn't ever see before are doing better. And like for me. I miss the mom and pop stores. I miss oh, going too. to a specific, you know, uh, music store. And that's the one good thing that I feel like I've seen from the COVID and from all this bullshit with Guitar Center. It's, you're right. You go in. I went to the Vegas Guitar Center and it's like walking in after somebody like raided a yard sale. And you're just like, what the fuck? But you go mm-hmm. uh, there. You go to Bay State Guitars in Boston and they got like a 1939 F9 Martin on the wall that's 20 grand and fucking 50 other ones like that. And you're like, how do you even exist? It's like, I take care of people. I make guitars. It's like people come to me because they know I offer quality, which the guy for $4 an hour that doesn't know how to open the Gibson case, he's trying to open it and then do the latch on the other side, like running the guitar center. Like that's why they don't have anything at the, the guitar center in Vegas. Well, there's also Sweetwater now, which is just like has everything. Yeah, you, you, know? go, to guitar center, you go to guitar center to try everything out and then you order it online for cheaper. Right, yeah. That's <laughs> how you kill businesses. It's, it's a strange time. I do, I do have hope, though, that uh, I know there's a lot of kids that, that love, love music. Oops, sorry, did I lose you? Oh, oh so you're back, you're back. Um, there's a lot of kids out there that are, that are, you know, that love music and they're getting into music through a lot of older rock music stuff. And a lot of kids lo- love playing guitar and love playing bass and, and drums as well. And, and, uh, and, you know, obviously it's a weird world. Like we live in an Instagram world where people are like, okay, I'm, I got to make my 15 second Instagram clip clip of me shredding so I can get another million followers. And I, it's weird because we're, it's short attention span theater world that we live in, you know, 15 second clips and shit. But, but, um, but people are still learning, you know, from, music of the past and learning, you know, how to write songs from past songwriters and shit like that. So I, I do, I do have hope that, uh, that, you know, rock and metal and, 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 and playing instruments in general will continue on. I think, 
I think people will always play instruments because it's fun. You know, it's fun. It's crazy you say about the attention span because I saw one of these guys and like, you know, he's like was one of the most influential guitar players. But then he posted something like, I have never played something over a minute and 13 seconds or whatever. And like, yeah, for 45 seconds, he could sound like Nuno. He could sound like Paul Gilbert. He could sound like Eddie. But it's like, dude, until you played to like nobody and like the moms of the other bands and like sounded like shit and got fucked at the soundboard and like, you're not... You suck. And like, there's something about like, you know, people go, oh, look at this kid that plays Eddie Van Halen who's seven years old in Japan. That kid didn't fuck your girlfriend. That kid didn't know the ice cream man. That kid didn't and have the hang out with Lee Ro- And that, but the thing is you can hear that in your fingers and in your playing and there's an authenticity to that, especially with Steel Panther because, you know, having seen you, 20 fucking times you guys say different shit every night you really do and i'm just like i don't know how they come up with it but it's fucking hysterical and i laugh every every single fucking time well you know it, it there's i think it's one thing to you know play play guitar in your bedroom i remember like hearing when i was a kid when i was a teenager and hearing somebody pontificate about uh about how good you have to be to just be able to play in front of a fucking audience like like when you're playing a piece of music in front of an audience, you have to be like 37% better than the actual piece of music you're playing. Because if you're at the top of your ability, once you get in front of an audience, the nerves kick in. You're like, you, you just, like sh- you're not going to play it that you, you got to be, mm-hmm. but that's sure, part of yeah. like why it matters. It matters to play in front of an audience. But is that why ACDC is awesome is because they write the most basic music, but it's just awesome to the core so they can go out there and it doesn't matter if he fucking sucks. He could just do the leg thing and Brian Johnson or Bonds. Yeah. And as long as Phil Rudd is keeping four on the floor, who fucking cares? Right. Well, the, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like ACDC is, it, that's the thing about music, you know, music, when you hear music, it's so easy to hear music. And most people do hear, you know, ACDC and they go, God, I, I could play that. And then how many times have you had somebody sit in on an ACDC song with you? And, <laughs> and, you know, it's like, you can't, you can't play too, this at all. What are you talking too, about? Too most many, people too I know many can't play ACDC. They, you shook ACDC my soul. ACDC can play ACDC. All song yeah. long. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to like, you know, there's those kids that can play the shreddy solo, the craziest technique for 15 seconds, but they can't write a song. So it can't write really a matter. song or they, and they, they can't play uh, eighth notes for fucking two bars without fucking three of them up, right? <laughs> oh yeah, my God, that's so true, dude. Like, I, I, I can't tell you how many amazing guitar players we pl- that like Corey or myself punched in, mostly Corey, um, like rhythm parts. We're like, it was just basic. Brum. Brum. Like, you know, the easiest shit, but then they'd be playing like Ingve arpeggios, fucking perfect, tripling it Randy Rhodes style, but just simple like palm muted rhythms. And I'm like, there's that's something that's also people have to understand the school of James Hetfield. So I wasn't blessed like you where I could do the sweet picks and the, the hammer ons, but I grew up thinking that there was only one way down and it was just down picking because James Hetfield did it. And if you go listen to a song like battery, you know what I mean? Or like all that early Metallica shit, you're like, holy fucking shit. Like rhythm matters, rhythm matters. So like, that's the other thing I love about your playing is, you know, and a guy like Nuno Betancourt, who's on our new song, take another piece is that it's not just about the shred, but it's also just as much about the, the rhythmic shred because there's a, a side to being able to play. Anyone can solo for 47 seconds as we've learned from Instagram, but can you play eight minute songs and make Lars Ulrich sound like he's good? Yeah, right. Exactly. Can anybody make Lars Ulrich sound like he's good? Oh, you play better cool. Lars Ulrich by playing one handed when you play live than Lars and James together. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, I mean, being being a great technician on any instrument is i think that's a goal that most people set for themselves when they start playing you want to be able to play things that are technically impressive right because you it's it's a challenge and and it's fun to fun to impress people and but then after you you know after you go to a place like musicians institute or guitar center and you see every every kid doing like you know, 14 octave arpeggio sweeps and, and uh, they're all, everybody can play fast and that's no big deal now. Right. So, but then, then the challenge becomes, okay, can I write a song that people won't turn off in the first three seconds? (laughs) That's that's a challenge, like to write a song where people go. The question then becomes, then how did Vince Neil happen? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I I mean, listen, everybody's got their theory. I think Vince Neil 
I've those guys, Motley Crue is perfect example of chemistry, right? Those guys yeah. had a fucking chemistry. Like they tried to replace Vince Neil with John Karabi. Way better singer. I don't think that, but I don't weird. think there's anybody who's gonna argue that Vince Neil's a better singer than John Karabi. John Karabi sounds fucking great, but, but not he's not Crue. the singer for Motley Crue. And everybody in the world went, we want, we want fat Vince Neil back. I mean, I, everybody would rather see fat Vince Neil and Motley Crue than hear John Karabi sing great. All right, here's another one I have to understand then. How about when Richie Kotzen was in, was in Poison? Did that mess with your mind? Because that's that's not a singer, but that's taking a guy like... Because C.C. DeVille's not a bad guitarist, but he's actually gotten way better since, you know, open up and say, ah, where it's like, oh my God, get a metronome. But like, he's not Richie Kotzen, who's a goddamn scientist. And yeah, like, he's... What's up well, with yeah, that? Yeah, Richie Kotzen, it's the same thing. Like, like <laughs> Richie Kotzen is one of the most talented dudes I've ever met. He's, he's freakishly talented and he's overqualified for poison i mean like you know he's he, he there's the guy can you know sing better than brett michaels he, yeah like he's too good for all the instruments in that band but but <laughs> dc deville was the guitar but that was a band where you go oh i want to see that band like the you know the, the way they are it's like you know and sometimes you know it, it, it there's just you know you can get somebody to replace a dude and it, it just doesn't work or whatever but but uh that's that's why you got to take your time and, and find the right bass player, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, I was gonna say that. Circle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on. No, absolutely. I mean, I mean, like you said about you, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you can play a million notes a minute. I mean, sensitivity and adaptability is so much a part of live performance. You know, you have to be able to follow and be with other people, and you know, even have the ability to write music, not just play like crazy. So it's that's one thing. Even in classical music, that's one thing I love about super old recordings, like you know, the 50s and 60s or whatever, those players were phenomenal because there was no auto-tuning, there was no editing. It was like, you did it in a straight shot and it just had to be perfect. And that was it. And they were at that level. Where live Vladimir recorded- Horowitz! Yeah. Vladimir Horowitz! Yo, yo, ma! It's yeah. God Perlman. Yeah, yeah. All of that, like Heifetz and Oistrock and all the like famous violinists, like they were just flawless all the time. And their level of command was so high because there was just, there was no splicing. It was, no, it was that it. was, that was, it was expected of you. Yeah. Like you had to be that good. And yeah. where, where I think nowadays, I mean, listen, and that, that was the same way with singers back then. Like it was like, oh, you've got to be able to fucking kill it. Right. Like you got to be able to kill it. Like, and I mean, I think it matters, you know, maybe, maybe not so much in the rock genre. I mean, like there's plenty of Led Zeppelin shows where, where they were all like drunk and stoned and Robert Plant was hitting, like he hit every note except for the ones that were in key. Right. But, but, (laughs) but it didn't matter though, because there was a vibe. So, you know, but, but there are, there's, there's dudes that are, there's dudes that are technically flawless and can hit anything and play anything. And then there's dudes that, that aren't technically flawless like Vince Neil, right? So Vince Neil, but, and here's the thing, like Vince might be fat now, but who gives a shit, right? Like he's always <laughs> saying subpar and it never fucking mattered. Like nobody, nobody was going to see Motley Crue going, man, I hope Vince sings great tonight because nobody gave a shit. All right. This it is was- important parallel again, synchronicity, because how about Gene Simmons kicking off David Lee Roth, Diamond Dave off the tour because the, because th- I have to tell you, all right, and, and, and you, you tell me if I'm wrong here. I, when I saw them in 2007, I was just so happy to see him with David Lee Roth that it, I was like somewhat, I think, confused at like whether it was good or not good. I was just happy to hear Atomic Punk, and I was just like, oh my God, they're all there. It didn't matter that Eddie was drunk. Uh, it, it, it was just fucking awesome. But then they came out with that live album. Like it, and like they said that like David Lee Roth went into the vault and could choose out any fucking record, like any album. They didn't. You could tell they didn't edit it because it's literally horrifying. And they don't have any live record with David Lee Roth, and he never sang great either. But like if you hear him at the U.S. Uh, the US Festival '83 or whatever, he's has muchismo, and he was sexy, and he was cool. He wasn't talking about his dogs and his horses running through the fucking fields. How do you feel when a guy like? Gene Simmons keeps it real and just says, Dave, get off the fucking stage. Man, you know what? It, I, I'm with you. I think, I think you know, it's David Lee fucking Roth, right? So, like, there's there's going to be, I think the vast majority of people 
want to see David Lee Roth because he was he's he is David Lee Roth. Like <laughs> there's a I and mean, listen, our singer like Michael Starr can sing David Lee Roth better than David Lee Roth, but nobody gives a shit about that. Like you know what I mean? Like it's fun to watch him do it, but but people want to see David Lee Roth. They want to see David Lee Roth do what David Lee Roth does, and I don't give a fuck if David Lee Roth hits some bad notes or whatever. It's it's he's still David Lee Roth, so nobody's going to be the same guy they were when they were 28 years old for their whole fucking life. But, but David Lee Roth's fucking legend. So, you know, Gene Simmons will beg to differ because he's been the same since he was 28 years old. And he'll tell you (laughs) he created Gene Simmons. He is Gene Simmons. And how dare you question? And even when he had a different band, he was still Gene Simmons and he still is now at 72. Yeah. Well, I like Gene too. So, you know, he's got his own, he's Gene Simmons and I are never going to have a, the same opinion about it, uh, everything. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he, I don't. So I have to ask. Okay, so we just went through David Lee Roth and Vince Neil, but there's another guy that perplexes me. And as someone who's such a, a proficient guitarist, Ingve Malmsteen. Ingve yeah. Malmsteen has come out and said, "I don't need uh, singers or anything." And you hear a guy like Doogie White, who actually has nothing bad to say about Ingve. He knew he was just like a means to an end, like a Frank Zappa tool. But he was like, but Ingve can't sing. Like, well, I don't, what is he thinking? And Ingve is like, I don't care about anybody. I, I can do all the singing. And I've gone as far as to check out his Facebook and his, and his uh, YouTube. And there's only thumbs up. You can't thumbs down any Ingve <laughs> stuff. And if you write a bad comment, which I haven't tried because I don't want to be banned. But there are no bad comments. So I have to think that someone makes them disappear. And I have to wonder to myself, like, at what point does Ingve start just making the world love him. And then he goes on to Facebook and people will be like, I'm seeing you in Tallahassee. And he just gives like thumbs up and fire and guitars and emojis. So, and is I'm that just, where you got that? What's up ben? with this? Oh Are you telling me that Ingve is singing all his own shit right now? Oh yeah, dude. And he has like lyric videos. First off, it doesn't even, and the lyrics, look, man, we all know bad lyrics for metal are like a thing. It's like, he rode a horse across the street and you're just like whoa <laughs> well it doesn't sound anything at all like that because it's got the Ingve heavy swedish thing dude go watch it it's a fucking nightmare and oh, the I guitar playing wait. is ridiculous the guitar playing is ridiculous you know, yeah. there's no question the guitar playing is ridiculous but there's not even a song anymore like well, uh, I, Ingve used to be a composer i have to i, I have to guess that maybe he was inspired well listen we all know that Ingve was heavily inspired by Uli John Roth, right? So, and Uli John Roth sang on his own solo records too. And I would be one of the people that would say maybe he shouldn't have. <laughs> I mean, Uli John Roth, I don't, I, he's probably a better singer than Ingve, but he's probably still not as good of a singer as Jeff Scott Soto or, you know, like some of the guys that sang on Ingve's records. Um, you know, Ingve had, had a lot of good singers. And I, I, he was he was really good at picking good singers. I don't know why he would decide that, you know, you know what? This is what happens when you get old. You don't give a shit anymore. You're just like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to deal with Jeff Scott Soto anymore. Fuck that Jeff guy. Jeff Scott Soto, he's a, ah, fuck that guy. I'll sing it myself. Like, <laughs> oh wait, my wait, Ingve, Jeff can sing. He can sing. But yeah. then the other thing is you go and see Ingve and he has the wall of amps and all that, but he plays 10,000 notes around the crazy notes when he l- plays far beyond the sun that you, it's far beyond recognizable. Like as a fan, how do you feel about that? Because I just feel like it's, it's, it's hurtful to me as someone that grew up loving every note. And I'm not saying you have to play everything, but you go see like Joe Perry or a slash and they're like improving their solos hackily, which is great. I love it. Cause it's a little different every night, but it's the solo. It's like Ingve plays arpeggios through arpeggios. <laughs> that well, you know what? I mean, you probably know how I feel about this. I, I, I'm, I like to write songs and I, I love to play solos. Don't get me wrong, but I consider myself more of a writer than a guitar player because to me that that just to me that's the the most important thing. If you don't have a good record, you don't have good songs, nobody's going to listen to your stupid solos. So, you have to rem- remind yourself of that when you're a player and we all start off as players. Like I want to be a, I want to be a good player, but then you evolve and you and you grow as a musician and then you r- start to realize how important it is to be a good composer because if you're not a good composer, 
nobody gives a fuck how good you play. If you can't compose something people are going to want to listen to, nobody's going to listen to you at all. And so when I go out on stage and I, and I play songs for people that bought Steel Panther tickets, I'm like, well, I'm going to play the solo that's on the record as close to as I can because these people listen to the fucking record when they're in their car. And I want to give them that experience. And, you know, fortunately for me, like, I, you know, I can... I can improvise if I, if I you know I, I get to do other things like a guitar solo for ten minutes by myself. So I can improvise and about you know other and I can improvise comedy. I can do all kinds of shit. But but when it comes to guitar solos, I, you know I'm with you. Like I think that Ingve did a lot of classic solos and on songs like Far Beyond the Sun and things like that. And I want to hear those. But Ingve also. Uh, Likes to improvise. <laughs> can I, su- can I summarize Ingve for you? I love this because this is the Generation X set list because I'm a nerd, right? Steve, I put this thing together with a, with a guy named Nuno and uh, uh, this other dude, Zach Wilde and Tosin Abasi and all that. And then, so you have like three cute little songs with Tosin, three cute little songs with Nuno, Father Zach for three, Father Steve for three, then Ingve, <laughs> Big E, Top down, foot down, no rest for the wicked, big eat. So it's like, actually, it's a medley. Oh, then the next one's Valhalla, Baroque and Roll, Masquerade End. So it's technically a three-song medley. 1,000 Cuts slash Arpeggios from Hell. So also a medley. Uh, Badineer, Double B, Pogadini's Fourth slash Adagio. So that's technically a medley. Far Beyond the Sun, which we all know is 17 minutes long. Trilogy slash Fugue, parentheses short, slash Echo, Acoustic, which must mean the acoustic solo. Black Star with Father Steve. So extra. And then he's done. And just so you know, Steve, I put the show on. Do you think, <laughs> do you think the Igve is like, I'm only going to play in your closet if I could do 17 songs for your every one? <laughs> wow. Well, it's, it sounds like Igve wanted to piss all over the stage and claim it. <laughs> oh, dude. It's sounds like, like Steve, I little legacy car and amp like pushed out in front of like 7,000 marshals. Yeah. It was adorable. Well, we know we we've all heard the Ingve stories for years, and and um, I, I have to just assume that they're all true. Like Ingve's Ingve's got a bit of an ego, and um, I've you know I've heard stories from like we all have. We've all heard Ingve stories, which make you know make him the person he is. I don't you know. Can I can I'm I tell the funniest Ingve, one that I've Ingve, ever heard? So. He I'm going to tell you the funniest one because Ferrari. we have to have a funny because he lives in Florida. And yeah. he drives around in a Ferrari, like an 80s Testarossa. Like, yeah. you know, like he totally, like every single day. And even if you read like Doogie, uh, Doogie White's interview, he's like, uh, oh yeah, he used to pick me up every morning. We'd go to Starbucks in his Ferrari. We'd play tennis for two hours. But so my friends were in this band, Diecast, and they were in the same studio as Ingve. And there was this long road he had to go down that was like all dirt road. And like his Ferrari was always covered in dust and he'd get it cleaned every day and show up waxed. And like he would always come into their sessions wearing like a different Rolex and asking a stupid question like, oh, uh, so if I press play, does it play like dumb shit all the time? And they're like, he was so fucking annoying and like disruptive of their sessions. So finally at their last day, they go outside. They're just leaving forever. And Ingve's Testarossa's out there. So they wipe their balls all over the car and then just draw giant dicks in the sand. And I don't know if they taped it or filmed it or waited for Ingve, but to know that that Ingve walked out to his like 86 Testarossa with just dicks all over it made my fucking day. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and you know, he probably didn't wash his car for a while, so that was on there for a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, if anybody deserves it, it was Zingbei. Right. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> for sure. So, listen, we want to say, Satchel, thank you so much for coming on the show and being like so generous with your time. And, like, I, I hope that like I could come see you in person. I definitely want to watch see you Steel guys and experience perform. it because like, I, I miss rock and roll. Like I saw Guns N' Roses myself and it was just a very weird experience because I was like, I don't think I've actually been excited by music live in front of me that like wasn't on a computer screen in years. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll be, you know, I'm pretty sure we're going to be, where are you going to see us? Uh, you're you're going to be in New Hampshire. The, uh, uh, New yeah. Hampshire, right. September I mean, it depends 19th. On where, September 19th and the 21st. Yeah. Where you're giving me a comp at the door because I'm, I'm <laughs> let a me know, let I'm, me know My unemployment we're leaves. I'll comp you anytime, dude. <laughs> see, anytime. look at that. I just Jude him on the show. You guys, it's a written <laughs> contract. Judge Judy says it right now. That was a verbal contract. You all heard. 
I got to look right. up your you tour it. dates. I, I want to see you too. Got, I'll hook you up. Any, any one of you guys want to come to the show, just let me know. For oh, sure. And, uh, awesome. We'll be out in, uh, I can't remember what date it is, but I, I know it's in September. Yeah, that's like 19th and 21st. 19th and, and 21st. So. Yeah, in Hampton awesome. Beach. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it. Hopefully it won't get canceled. Um, hopefully hope. there's not going to be any hurricanes near near Hampton Beach. Fingers crossed. Let's hope. Dude, it's live free or die there, bro. It's it's like your fucking mantra. They're like, dude, we don't fucking care. We're going to live free and let Satchel fucking die if he has to playing this in the hurricane, but fuck it. That's New right. Hampshire. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, Satchel, thank you right so on. much. This was such a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thank you, of course, for spending time yeah, with us. Yeah, it was fun talking with you guys, too. Thanks for having me on, and, and uh, you guys can edit, edit it down to about 12 minutes if you want. <laughs> No, everything was awesome. It was great. <laughs> and good luck with the bass player search. We love you. We yeah. know that you're going to be triumphant and that you're bringing the medal to all the people out there. And just like Lemmy, just like Ronnie James Dio, we need to have a little serving of medal in every single town. And whether you have uh, Lexi who's going off and doing his own thing or anybody else, I know that you shall reign supreme because they have you, Satchel, and they have Michael Starr and they have Sticks. And you guys are fucking amazing. And I'll tell you that I will follow and enjoy and hope Hopefully, get drunk with Corey every time we come. Let's do it. Absolutely, I, I appreciate that, and we will we will find somebody at some point. And uh, you never know, man. Maybe it'll be you. It might be you, Benny. You never know. Carefully, <laughs> maybe I will get drunk when I come. Maybe I'll yeah, learn bass. Get up and play some bass. <laughs> okay, you guys have been twenty twenty. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, man. Bye, you. guys. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 29, featuring Steve Stevens, guitarist for Billy Idol. Check it out. Rebel Yell had been, we cut the track, and then our producer, Keith Forsey, said, you know, we need something at the front to let people know the cavalry's coming, rather than just, bam, here it is. And uh -huh. I said, oh, I've got this little intro thing. I've, I've had that intro thing for years. And I said, let me, you know, let me just tag it on the front. And that's exactly what happened. So wow. um, those are sometimes those little afterthoughts that become, become really cool, you know. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.